I know that some people, they get so excited, so passionate about their favorite sports team or their favorite amusement park or they just have to go to, I don't, I don't care what it is, Six Flags Great Adventure or Disney World or the movie theater or baseball game and you get there and you're so excited about that and then all of a sudden you see the concession stand prices and, and it's outrageous and you just go, I'm being robbed. Now, we get to John chapter 2 and verse 13. And in John chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold the doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days... I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, he, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to them, and they believed, that the, scripture, believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem, at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. He had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So the setting that I have for this passage of scripture today, as I begin to look at it and I take a look, it's... It's during the Passover when Jesus scourges the temple. Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago in Exodus chapter 11 and 12. It was a time to remember when the children of Israel had to take that perfect spotless lamb, male, a year old, and sacrifice it and put the blood on the doorposts. So when the angel of death would pass by at midnight, he would see the blood and he would pass over them. You guys, I hope, know what Passover is. Jesus was in Jerusalem to celebrate this holiday. And I use that word very, very carefully. Because I understand and I think when I think about holidays, holy days. A God-ordained Holy Day, Passover. And here is Jesus coming to Jerusalem 
to celebrate that special event. It ought to be like the way we we treat Resurrection Day in the spring. A holy day when we remember the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, I think that we ought to use that word a little more cautiously, the word holiday. I have no problem with celebrating uh, the 4th of July. Get together and and have your uh, hamburgers and hot dogs, watch the fireworks and celebrate the 4th of July, the, the founding of it. But let me ask you a question. Is that a holy day, a holiday, something, a time for us to remember and re- reflect on the great thing, like Christmas, which we're getting ready to celebrate, the coming of Christ to earth. I am, again, please don't think I'm putting the 4th of July down. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I like the fireworks and the hamburgers and the hot dogs in America, right? And stuff. But, but to me, Resurrection Day, that's something totally different. Amen. The celebration of Christ coming to earth. That's a big deal. And to me, as a Christian, I, I this is kind of where I'm going with that. This is, I, I'm a little offended if somebody wants to put, call October 31st a holiday. That, that kind of offends me. I'm not afraid to say that. And Halloween's coming up and it, it doesn't even deserve a title to be put on uh, holiday. No, that's where I'm going with this whole thing. And I think we ought to not use the two. We ought to be careful when we use the words. Jesus Christ, as he's going to Jerusalem in John chapter 2, he's going to celebrate a holy day. Passover. And the place that he's going is a special place. He is going to the temple. The first temple was built by Solomon and destroyed by the Babylonians. This is not that temple. This is Zerubbabel's temple or Herod's temple. The second temple, which at the time Jesus says right here in John chapter uh, 2, is that they had been working 46 years to get this, prior to this event, to get this place ready for what's going on. This was quite the building. I've got kind of a representation there. Um, There is currently not a temple to Yahweh in Jerusalem. I believe the Bible and I believe its promises and its prophecies. There is going to be a third temple in Jerusalem. And the day may be coming very, very quickly. Uh, There are people in Jerusalem who are ready at the moment's notice to build a temple just like that. And construction could begin tomorrow. I don't know. But I know it's going to happen. God's word promises that there will be another temple in Jerusalem. Now, I read this event and I try to picture what's going on here. Jesus comes into the temple during this whole holiday. And he begins flipping tables over and 
makes a whip and driving people out. And this would have been a big event. Could you imagine if on Christmas we're having our Christmas service and some person comes in and makes a whip and starts whipping people out of church and flipping tables? Could you picture that at, here at First Baptist Church of Port Crane for just a moment? What would the reaction be? That would be the talk of the town. I don't think that just the people in this church would be talking about it. It'd be on the front page of the paper. And at the same time, as I think about this, one of the things that I think about is I've watched movies about the life of Christ. Like the Jesus film. And I think about that and I try to think about the sequence of events that happened there. And Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey a week before he rises from the dead. And shortly after that is when this happens, that he starts flipping over tables and making a whip and driving people out. And I'm just confused because here, this is John chapter 2. This is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. As a matter of fact, let's open our Bibles. Let's go to Matthew chapter 21. Because I'm, I'm really confused. I get to Matthew chapter 21, and it says up there, verses 12 to 17, It says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame to, came to him in the temple. And he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to Son of God, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants? You have perfect praise. Then he left them and went out of the city, and he lodged there. And I get done reading that. I go, this is Matthew chapter 21. Right after, like I saw in that movie, the Jesus film, the triumphal entry. So did John make a mistake? Did Matthew make a mistake? Who's right? Oh, man. I, I mean, you, you'll even have people that will come up to you and they know you're a Christian. They say, oh, you read that Bible. You know that it's full of, like, mistakes and stuff there's one time did you know did you know Christian that one time in the Bible it says that Jesus fed 5,000 people another time it said Jesus fed 4,000 people Bible's full of mistakes I've actually had someone say that to me I was so glad because I could say you know it says that in the same book it happened twice in the book of Matthew. Jesus fed 5,000 people 
one time and 4,000 people another time. Oh, you mean that wasn't a mistake? And I get here and I read this and I, I begin to look and I begin to study. I find out this wasn't a mistake at all. It's not that John got the date wrong and this was at the beginning and Matthew got it right and it was at the end. That's not what's happening here at all. As a matter of fact, when you begin to read the two passages together, you notice that there are some things very different. The attitudes of the priests. What's going on? When Jesus stands on trial, they talk about both events. And you begin to go, oh, okay. So I ask the question, what's going on here? Did John get it wrong? Is the Bible full of lies? I believe absolutely not. You can count on the Bible. It is 100% accurate as inspired by God. I believe we find any problem, it might be in the translation of people who have translated it from the Greek into the Hebrew. Not Greek and Hebrew into the English. But as inspired by God, it is accurate. And you can trust this book. You could trust it for your life. As a matter of fact, what I believe is happening here is that this event happened twice. At the beginning and end of Jesus' ministry. And he went through four Passovers. In his three and a half years of ministry. John actually talks about his Passovers and what he was doing in some of the other ones. But in these four Passovers that Jesus had. First one, he's in Jerusalem for Passover. A, a holiday that was directly related to his death, burial, and resurrection. And he flipped over the tables. He drove people out. And he, he said, hey guys, what you're doing is wrong. It was a big deal. The second and third ones, he finds himself in Galilee. And you say, okay, in three years, how is there four Passovers? I always think to myself when I think about that, um, I've got two daughters, Julie and Kylie. Their birthdays are December 26th and December 23rd. And so one of them, they're, they're two years apart. But Julie's only had one more Christmas than Kylie. Because by the time Julie got to her first Christmas, she was a year old. And that was a big difference than Kylie's first Christmas when she was two days old. And so when you think about Jesus, three and a half years, there'd be four Passovers. Number two and three, he was in Galilee, serving and ministering. And then for the fourth one, right, before, right as he's getting ready and prepared to die on the cross, he does the same thing again. He turns the tables over. He drives the people out. And he makes a big deal about what was going on in the temple for Passover. So every single time, I've got this up here on the screen. Every single time Jesus was in Jerusalem for Passover during his ministry, he flipped the tables. He made a scourge of whip and drove the men out of the temple. Do you think that that was important to him? Absolutely. 
And so what I'd like, like us to ask is what's going on here? Now, I can't tell you exactly what was happening, but I'd like to paint you a picture of what you may have seen that day and why this is such a big deal and what is going on here. So I'd like us to make, a, make this uh, fictitious Jewish family up. And I'd like to paint a picture of what Jesus, uh, what scholars, this isn't just my guess, I've read some people that says that this probably what was going on at the time is that a Jewish family, a big deal to them, if they were strong in their faith to Yahweh, was temple and the Passover. The temple and the Passover. And so maybe this family had never gotten the opportunity to see the temple. They wanted to show their kids the temple. And it meant a big deal to them. It was going to be a long journey. It was going to cost a lot of money. And so they were going to make this very, very important to them. Sad thing. In America today, that's the way people talk about like going to Disney World. That's the way they talk about going on a trip on a cruise or to when it should be a big deal to go to God's house. They would, you know, if they're like, oh, man, we got to miss a week of school and and we got to miss our soccer game and we got to miss this, this and this. So we can go to Disney World or we can go to. Our... But if it's to go to God's house. You'd miss it because a leaf fell the wrong way. Or maybe something cools on TV. Or maybe it's a practice, a soccer practice. And so you miss week after week after week of church. And then... They began to prepare. They bought a lamb. They gave it to their son, Peter. I use Peter because he's in the Bible, right? And they give it to their little 10-year-old boy. And they say, Peter, next year our family is going on the biggest trip of our life. We're going to the temple for Passover. And you know how we've been teaching you your whole life? That it's important to celebrate Passover and what God did when we were in Egypt. We're going to go to the to the temple and we're going to celebrate Passover. So, so Peter, here's your job. For the next year, you're going to take care of this little lamb, Fluffy. And you're going to keep him and you're going to care for him. And you're going to raise him and you're going to make sure that this male... Year-old lamb is perfect, spotless, and ready for the temple sacrifice. So Peter gets up every day. He goes out and he takes care of Fluffy. And he raises Fluffy. He cares for, he protects Fluffy. He makes sure that Fluffy is ready for temple. For Passover. And Fluffy has become a big part of the family. 
And now this family, they begin to take the journey down to, down to the temple. And when they get there and when they arrive, they bring and Peter brings Fluffy and he raises him up to the inspector of the sacrifice. And the inspector of the sacrifice looks over Fluffy here and he says, Sorry. Fluffy is not perfect and spotless. He doesn't pass inspection. Sorry. Deal of the day, though. For you and you only, we will buy Fluffy from you because we know you worked hard to get for, for 10 shekels. And we will buy Fluffy from you because we know that you worked hard and you went through a long way to do this. And then we will sell you our temple certified, 100% approved temple sacrifice for 20 shekels. You can't beat that deal out in the streets, just here in the temple. Okay. We've come all this way. What choice do we have? We're here. We're... And so they buy this new land. Take it to be sacrificed. And there would have been a priest there just taking the lamb, lifting its head, slicing its throat, pouring the blood for the sacrifice. And just doing that all day. So the families rushed through and and they get to see their sacrifice being made and get to go through the whole, the whole experience. And then on the way out, they watch as Fluffy is being sold as a temple certified lamb. Man. Wow. Then we get to John chapter 2. Matthew chapter 21. And we begin to understand and we begin to figure out what Jesus is saying when he says, Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. In Isaiah chapter 56, in Isaiah 56 in verse 7, words are echoed by the, uh, the prophet Isaiah that had been said by King Solomon when he dedicated the temple. In Isaiah chapter 56 in verse 7, it says, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful. In the house of prayer, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. God's house was to be called a house of prayer for the nations. We don't go to the temple in Jerusalem today. We don't offer sacrifices Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. He fulfilled the law. He paid the debt. And our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't need to take his temple sacrifice anymore. 
That's why I believe that there is no temple in Jerusalem today because that's part of God's sovereign, divine plan for today. We have the church. And we're here in the church. This is not the temple. But it's the building which this church has chosen to meet together, to hear the words of God. I believe that church today, First Baptist Church of Fort Crane, is to be a house of prayer for our community. I believe that's what this building is supposed to be. And you come here today. And this is something that I've challenged myself with on many occasions. Especially every time I read John chapter 2. God's house is to be a house of prayer. Am I making it a house of prayer today? When I walked through that door and I came and I sat in my pew. Have I said one word to God? Am I doing business with him? Am I bringing my requests and my prayers before him? Because this is the house of prayer. When you come here today and you sit here, are you praying? Or do you come in the door, shake everybody's hand and go around and talk and socialize? And, and, and those things are great. They're good for the, us as the body of Christ to do. But we can't neglect God when we come into this house. We need to be pray, praying. And I challenge you today, if your prayer life is struggling, Make sure that this place is a house of prayer. God's house is not to be called a den of thieves. We read in Jeremiah chapter 7 this morning, and maybe you were reading it and you're going, oh man, Pastor Scott, that's not the most uplifting passage of scripture that you've, you've had us read for a response of scripture. But in Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 11, it says, has this house, which is called my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I have seen it. I, even I have seen it, says the Lord. And then he begins to go and he begins to describe. And in verses 9 to 15 of that, that passage of scripture, he talks about Shiloh. And you might go, what's Shiloh? <laughs> I said, I said, to kids, I've been saying to kids for a long time, Shiloh sounds like a good name for your dog, right? I mean, like, but what does it mean more than that? Well, up there, I, I have this story from 1 Samuel. When, when Eli was the priest in Israel, and he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas are his sons, and they act wickedly before God. And God, through talking to Eli, through talking to Samuel, says, Hophni and Phinehas are doing wickedly. They are taking sacrifices that belong to God and pocketing them for themselves. They are doing things in the house of God that are not appropriate and should not be done in the house of God. They took the Ark of the Covenant out of the house of God and took it to battle against the Philistines, and the Ark of the Covenant was lost. And there we have an example 
of what the house of God being a den of thieves looks like. We are not to be Hophni and Phineas. This place is to be a house of prayer. People shouldn't come here and, and think that they're going to be spending time with God and walking out the other door feeling discouraged, let down, and as if they came, they left, and they never heard the name of God. There's a phrase that's repeated. This house which bears my name. When asked, Jesus, what sign, what authority do you give that you can do these things, that you can come in, you can drive out the, the, these money changers and do this? Jesus predicts that the temple would be destroyed. And he's talking about the temple of his body. There's a phrase that Jesus used in John chapter 2. He said, he says, he quotes from Psalm 69.9 and he says, Zeal for your house has consumed me. And Jesus Christ, as prophesied in the Old Testament, was zealous for the house of God. And I think we as Christians today, we need to make sure that we don't treat this place like a den of thieves. We treat it as a house of prayer. And we need to be zealous for God's house. Jealous for this place. This place needs to be a special place. We, we live in a day and an age where um, people don't want to dress up to go to church. But we should be excited about coming to this place, giving God our best, and being excited and doing our best for this place. Now, I also, I'm going to be, I do not find any place in the Bible where it says, thou shalt wear a suit and tie to church. Don't find it. Okay? When someone comes in and they're, they're not wearing a suit and tie. I don't think it's our responsibility to say, hmm, look at how that person is. That's not our responsibility. But I'm asking you to personally give this house the respect that it's due. To treat this place as if it's the house of prayer. To treat it differently than the mall. Differently than, than a gymnasium. This is a special place. And we ought to be zealous for this place. We should be excited to tell people to come to church. This is a place where the people are going to pray with you and for you. This is a place where you're going to hear the word of God and its power to change lives. God's holiness and purity cannot tolerate being defiled. It's like putting poison in a healthy body. And if we treat this place inappropriately, if we neglect to pray to God in the house of prayer, it's like putting poison into this church. We need to be zealous for it. 
We need to treat it as if it's a house of prayer. And we need to make sure that we are treating this this place as if it's special. Our church. They ask the question, Jesus, what sign do you give us that you have the authority to do this? And I've said it before and I'll say it again. That Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. I said there are seven miracles in the book of John that point to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. They are called in this book signs. Not just miracles, but special miracles that point to Jesus Christ's divinity. And I'm saying that this one right here in John chapter 2 is the second sign that we have. But i got to put a list up there. And I put it as sign number 7. The sign deferred. The sign that Jesus Christ gave that he said, I'm saving this one for later. His death, burial, and resurrection. You want to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And that he has the authority to go into the temple and flip over tables. When he raises from the dead, you know that he's God and he has all authority over this whole world. That's what Jesus Christ is saying here. This is my sign. This is my proof that I'm the son of God. So on my list, I put it as number seven. The sign that Jesus Christ says, we'll save this one for later. Every single sign in this book, gets more public, more grand, and more controversial. I said that when Jesus turned water into wine. I'm saying it again this week. I'm going to say it with every single one. Which one's more public than Jesus rising from the dead? Which one's more grand than Jesus rising from the dead? Which one causes has caused more controversy in this world than Jesus rising from the dead? But the truth is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you want proof it's all found in the resurrection. You don't need anything more than that. The purpose of his miracle was to authenticate his message of his deity by the resurrection. The result of this sign, the result was that when he rose from the dead, The disciples finally figured it out and the the lights finally went on and the world was changed because Jesus rose from the dead. This whole time, they've been going through these motions and they've been following Jesus around and they didn't get it and they didn't get it and they didn't get it and they didn't get it. It was like a veil was put over their eyes. But as soon as he rose from the dead, they're like, it makes sense. Him flipping over the tables. Him saying, destroy this temple, and in three days, it makes sense. It was all about the cross. It was all about the resurrection. This was his hour. This was his moment. Jesus did other miracles in Jerusalem that weekend. And some people followed him. Some people saw what he was doing. Some people believed. But God's plan wasn't for him to stay in Jerusalem. And so what Jesus is going to do in the book of John right now is his plan was to go to Galilee. And we sit here and we go, 
Why go to Galilee? Why did Jesus have to go to Galilee? He was in Jerusalem. He's causing, you know, he could have just stayed in Jerusalem. He would have got more attention. But God's plan was for Jesus to go to Galilee. And I don't know what God has planned for you. But you got to follow his plan. And you got to be praying. And you want to know what you're, how you're going to know what God's plan is for your life. And what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to go. It's going to be found in the church. And you're, when you say, I don't know what God's will for my life is. We'll make this house a house of prayer and begin praying. Begin believing that Jesus Christ will leave you, lead you, and let him lead. Walk with him. Spend time with him. Believe him. Work with the people in the church. Change the way you view this place. Be zealous for God's house. And he will Make a difference in your life. As I read this sign that Jesus promised, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. I believe that Jesus presents himself as the authority over life and death for all of eternity. As I saw him turn water into wine, I see that he's the great creator God. I also know that he is, has authority over my, hope, my eternal soul. And that means a lot to me. I believe in Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. So I have determined to make God's house a house of prayer. To be zealous for this place. To change my attitude and my heart. And they say, God, no matter what, I'll follow you because you died for me. And three days later, victoriously, you rose from the grave. Amen. Our God is an amazing, life-changing Savior. Today, as we close, I'd like to ask you the question. I think it's foolish for us to have church and to walk out the door. And to not leave with something that we can do to change our hearts. In this passage of scripture, Jesus drove out the money changers. He cleansed the temple because of hypocrisy that he saw in people's lives. Maybe as you're sitting here today, you say, I know, you know, Pastor Scott, I come to church and I'm going through the motions. I walk in the door. I say hi to my people. I walk around. But I'm not treating this place as if it's God's house. I'm not talking to him when I'm here. I'm just letting the message go in one ear and out the other. This place is just going through the motions every week. But I want it to be different. I want it to be the number one priority. I want my relationship with God to be different. I want to pray. I want to read the Bible. 
I want my, my life cleansed from sin. And I want to follow the Jesus Christ that would die on the cross and rise for me three days later. I want God to clean my heart. I want to do business with the Lord. If that's you. Today you could come right down here. We'll pray. And you can turn things around and you can say, I want to make God's house the house of prayer. I want to really have that relationship with him. And I want this place to be real and authentic. Do business with God today.